Thanks, Ashley. Uh, my name's Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. This morning, I want to ask you a question to start. I want you to think about um, how did you get here? That could be an easy question. I drove. I walked. Um, but how did you end up here? And like some of you might be new to Redeemer. Um, this might be one of your first times here. Uh, maybe we expand that question out a little bit. Like, how did you end up here at Redeemer? Like, what were the things that happened that spurred you on to be in this place? Some of you have been here a long time. You have to think way back of how you ended up here at, at Redeemer. What were all the things that were happening behind the scenes that drew you into this place? Maybe you met God here for the first time. What were the things that happened before the before that got you to the place of belief? I want you to think about that today as we examine. We're, we're, we're going to start this series for Lent on Philippians, um, but we're actually going to be in Acts today. And we're kind of looking at the story. So, you know, Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church. It's near the end of his life under the reign of Nero. But before that, this church was founded. It was the before before story. What was happening in your life? What things had to be orchestrated for you to end up in these seats today? What was God doing that got you to this place? And the other thing I want you to think about is, like, how are you? How are you showing up here this morning? And to do that, I just want to pause for a moment. I want you to just sit in your seats, close your eyes. Remember, you are an embodied person. You aren't a brain on a stick. I want you to think about this morning what you might be holding on to as you enter into this space of worship, as you prepare to hear God's Word, what are, what are, how are you? What's going on inside? What's keeping you from being here? And I want you just a second to just sit into that. And I want you to give it to the Lord. Maybe you can pray this in your, in your heart after me. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God, because you care about me. You are here as we have gathered in your name. You are here, present in your word for us. And so we pray that you would un, un, undo our hearts like that uh, cob of corn. All those things that are keeping us from recognizing you and your presence. We pray that you'd peel away. That you would allow us to be here in this place this morning. And that you would do your work in us. So we give these things to you, trusting that you can hold them. That you are here with us. We have nothing that we need to conjure up or do. We just release this stuff to you. And be with us, we pray. By your Spirit, through your Word. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we were, as we're, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to work through this long passage in Acts. We're going to start in Acts 15. And we're going to consider some of these things about beginnings and how things started. Um, and so I'm going to start reading for you in Acts 15. Hear God's Word this morning from Acts 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
So Paul's going back. He's visiting places that he's been and going to be checking in on these churches. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. This is the the big first move. The, The before beginning. The thing that had to happen for the Philippians church to be founded was this party had to be separated. And you get a, a, a tinge of like who Paul is here. Like Paul's like zeal, passion. When John Mark left before, Paul wasn't giving John Mark a second chance. The agreement was so sharp that they had to split into two parties and go in two different directions. That says something to us about our disagreements. Even what the Lord can sometimes do with these disagreements in furthering His kingdom. Chapter 16, Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there. Now here we see the fellowship get expanded. This disciple was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And so he took him and circumcised him because all the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. We start to see some contextualization of the message of what Paul's doing. Paul had had some problems in these cities because he wasn't fully identifying his, his Jewishness. And the councils just declared that they don't have to. And yet, here Paul circumcises Timothy as an, as an adult. It's a very interesting thing. We won't get into it much more than that. But you need to know that like this is for the sake of mission, for the sake of Timothy's well-being, that this happens. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. They're they're delivering the news from the general assembly to the churches. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Here's the second move. The second story behind the story. The Holy Spirit forbids Paul from going into Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul there in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That dramatic picture, dramatic scene, the Macedonian vision. This is the move. This is how the Philippian church will be founded. By being one door being closed and another door being opened. I remember, I haven't had a lot of visions in my life. I went to a missions conference one time and I maybe had a vision. I remember seeing a woman in a burqa and she was in the country of Yemen. And she was crying out for someone to come to her her country and tell people about Jesus. I came home and I told Danette, I think we're supposed to go to Yemen. She said, no, we're not. (laughs) 
Paul does not go into Asia. He has this Macedonian vision and we read in verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. If that door doesn't close to Asia, then maybe the Macedonian church doesn't get founded, at least at this time. Maybe it happens much later, but in God's providence, this is what I want you to hear this morning, is God was at work before you sat in these seats, just like he was at work closing the door to Asia and opening up to Macedonia. Verse, seven, verse 11 of chapter uh, 16. So setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Now here's what I want you to know about Philippi. Philippi started as this town called Crinides. It was important because it was located on this trade route between the east and the west. Crinides meant spring. The ground was fertile here, great for farming and mining. The settlement in Crinides was prosperous. And around 358 B.C., a man named Philip the second from Macedon, conquered that settlement and renamed it after himself, Philippi. And from there, Philippi grew in importance. When Philip's son launched a major military invasion, he launched it from Philippi into Asia. That son was Alexander the Great. It was an important place in the Greco-Roman world. As Rome rose to power, Philippi became a significant place in the Roman world. When Caesar was murdered by Brutus and Cassius, there was a void in power. And Caesar's nephew, Octavian, joined forces with Mark Anthony to battle Brutus and Cassius for control in the Roman world. That happened at the Battle of Philippi in 42 B.C. And because of that victory, Philippi became a Roman colony versus an occupied city. In a colony, the, citizen, the, the people were citizens of Rome, they didn't pay taxes. They gave their allegiance, and this is really important when we think about Philippians and what we just, the creed we just confessed, that Christ hymn. They had to give their allegiance to Caesar, to the interest of Rome. They worshiped Apollo. They spoke of him. It was an important place because of its story and where it was located. Now keep that in mind as we continue on here. And on the Sabbath day, verse 13, we went outside the gate to the riverside. Or we were, we supposed they had heard about this place down by the river that was a place of prayer. Now what's interesting about this is normally Paul would go to a synagogue. And what this, most scholars believe is there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. There wasn't 12 Jewish men there to form a synagogue. So Paul was looking for people to tell the gospel to and so he hears about some kind of prayer gathering happening down by the river. So that's where he goes. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And um, she was a God-fearer. She was following the, the religion of Judaism without herself being a converted Jew. She heard about Yahweh. She is some way 
like worshiping Yahweh, and she's doing this through praying down by the river as she does her work. She goes down to the river to dye her clothes. She, the, the purple linens that she sold, bought and sold and made were very expensive. She was probably a wealthy businesswoman. She had a home. She's only named. We're not really told much about any other than she had a household. So they meet this Lydia, who was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened up her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after this, she was baptized, and her household as well. All the people that worked for her, all the people that stayed for her, all of her family, believed, saved, baptized. This becomes the church at Philippi. Saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, notice what this woman does. She is a host. She makes room for Paul and this fellowship. Come to my house and stay. And Paul says, she prevailed upon us. You know a little bit about Paul, and you'll hear a little bit more about him here in just a second. She was convincing to this man. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And what's thought about this is that there was this little tripod in, the, in, um, in Delphi where there was a temple for Apollo. And under this tripod was a, a crevice in the earth and sulfur would come out. And so uh, young girls were sold into the ministry of Apollo. They became these uh, people who would he- have these visions. They would smell the sulfur. They would have these hallucinogenic effects on them. And they would have these visions. And they became in service to Apollo and to the temple and to the priest, used in all various sorts of ways, these young girls. Trafficking. This is one such girl who's now been sold to somebody else and she has this spirit, we're told, that can foretell things. They were making a profit off of her. Verse 17. She, this young girl, followed Paul and us crying out. And notice this us there. That us is telling you Luke has joined this party. Luke writes Acts. Luke has joined the fellowship with Timothy, Paul, Silas. They're all there. She kept following us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She does not believe. She, this is the, the demon that's in her proclaiming this news, telling the truth of who Paul is and what Paul has come to do. She kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her. At that very hour. And she was changed. Converted. Now, there's a whole story of her life that led up to that moment. But in that moment, when Paul freed her, she was redeemed. Verse 19, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. How much is that the way of the world, friends? Human beings used for gain. 
Jesus has come to free us from that cycle of using one another for gain. The consequence was they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Notice how they appeal to Rome, to Caesar, to the state. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off of them, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, which meant, by the way, on pain of death for the jailer. Like, he puts him back in, on, in stocks into the heart of the prison because if something were to happen to them, he would suffer pain and death. So he put him in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And here's where it gets good, right? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying singing hymns to God. They, they aren't declaring their rights as Roman citizens. They're praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors opened and everyone's bonds became unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the, person, the prison doors were open, he, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he falls down before Paul and Silas. And then they brought them out and said, Sir, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, He's probably not asking for salvation other than like salvation from the Roman authorities at this point. But notice the answer is the same. Like redemption, friends, isn't just spiritual. It's physical and spiritual. God intends to do both in people when he, when he visits them. Think about Tyrone's story. Right? Being left in a, a dumpster. God's intent in all of that was to save him and to redeem him from his physical circumstances as well. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and they threw a party and rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. And what a story. Verse 35, when it was day... The magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, now he brings up his citizenship. 
They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. They've thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No! Let them come and take us out! The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Three beginnings. The separation into two parties. The the joining of Timothy and later Luke. And then the Macedonian call. All three of those things happened in God's providence to take them to this place so Paul could go down to the river, meet Lydia, free the slave girl, and save the Philippian jailer. Three conversions. Remember, Acts begins at Pentecost. right? It's, it's a handful of people worshiping this resurrected Jesus. And then Paul, Peter preaches and thousands are added to the number and the church grows. And then Peter preaches later and more people come and it grows. And, and what the book of Acts is then detailing for us is how the Gospel is moving from this Jewish world, this Jewish Messiah, to a, a Messiah for the entire world. The, the regathering of the nations. At Babel, the nations are scattered. And now, after Pentecost, it's a regathering of the nations under the name of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. God is bringing all things back together. And each little vignette is a story of how God is at work bringing the nations back around Jesus. It's still a work that we are involved in today. All the things that Redeemer supports out there in the world is still this work of the ingathering of the nations following Pentecost. And there was a beginning to the beginning to the beginning that led all of this to happen. And then now today, there's a beginning to the beginning to the beginning that made all, of the, all the things that happened that got you here in these seats. You Gentiles. God was at work doing something to get you here. And, and remember, God is going to do something from this point this way. Somebody else is beginning. My daughter Jade and I have a saying, never stop starting. There's something about that. If the kingdom is always at hand, then there's always a beginning. You might find yourself here like mired in boredom and disappointment and sadness and grief. And the reality is is that God is beckoning you into His kingdom even now to believe that a new day is always here because of Jesus and His resurrection. And so we can never stop starting. That doesn't mean we're just a whole thing of like activity and, and energy all the time. But it does mean that we entrust ourselves to Jesus in such a way that He can always make a new beginning from this moment right now. It's the beauty and the power of the Gospel. I want you to also know, notice that like stories are sacred. 
Like we heard when, when someone takes the time to share with you their story, there is something holy about that. And there's something holy in you sharing your story. Like Acts is a book about these stories. Now notice, some of them are incredible. And here I want to caution you. Because I think the temptation can be for us, like when we hear a story like maybe Tyrone's story, and we go, man, my story's not like that. And we, we, we tend to shrink back and think that there's no power in it. Every story of every redemption has power in it. When Jesus touches someone's life, no matter how great or small, there is power in that story, and that story is holy. When your children come down and we bless them, or when I bless them, I'm praying that those children would never know a day apart from the Lord Jesus. That their stories would be the most boring, ordinary stories of life in the kingdom that you can imagine. There's beauty in that. And I want to focus my attention on this for the rest of the time because I think, I mean, we get the Philippian jailer, man. Like, it, it's like the text like brings all of that to life and even the slave girl. But I really want us to focus around Lydia. I really want us to understand that Lydia was doing very mundane, ordinary things. She was going down to the river, as was her custom, every Saturday to pray and to do her work. Through her vocation of washing and selling these linens and praying at the river, God showed up there in the mundane, in the ordinary. This is what Ted, uh, Paul Tripp says, there simply are, are not many grand moments of life. And we surely don't live, in, live life in those moments. No, no we live in the utterly mundane. We exist in the bathrooms, the bedrooms, the living rooms, the hallways of life. This is where the character of our life is set. This is where we live the life of faith. Yes, there is big, dramatic moments to all of our lives. Moments that we'll remember. Mile marker moments. There's this uh, mile marker in New Mexico called Mile Marker 55. It's on the way between Albuquerque and... um, uh, Las Cruces, and one time my buddy Brent in his Nissan Pulsar, we were going back to school after being in Albuquerque for the weekend, and we stopped at this mile marker 55 because his car broke down. Now this is before cell phones, and we're like, how are we going to get to Las Cruces? It's, it's, it's pretty late on this night, it's like a Sunday night, and um, Brent's like, well one of us has to hitchhike, looking at me. And so I did, and somebody pulls over, and I thought for sure I was going to die. Like, I I thought, when I said goodbye to Brent, I was like, dude, I I might not see you again, bro. (laughs) And I got in this car, and when when they pulled up next to me, I noticed there was all these chickens in the back seat. (laughs) Cages and cages of chickens. And so I, I saddled up and, like, scrunched in, and I was like, hey, can you take me to Hatch where I can call my roommate on a payphone? And so Hatch was 10 miles down the road. They take me. I call my friend, uh, my friend Ben. He comes in my car, picks us up, and we, and we lived. But <laughs> every time I drive by mile marker 55, I remember that story. 
Like, you all have those moments. But most of life is all the other miles. It's all the other places. And, and, and God shows up there. Lydia reminds us that God shows up there. Um, the mowing the grass, the checking the emails, the going to work. Every Moment Holy is a prayer book. There's three volumes of it. I want to read one to you. This is trying to give your attention to some ordinary thing that God can show up in. It's a liturgy for the changing of diapers. Heavenly Father, in such menial moments as this, the changing of a diaper, I would remember this truth. My unseen labors are not lost. For it is these repeated acts of small sacrifice that like bright, ragged patches are slowly being sewn into a quilt of loving kindness that swaddles this child. I'm not just changing a diaper. By love and service, I am tending a budding heart that rooted early in such grace-filled devotion. Now think about this. Because there is a story at work in your children's lives, in your grandchildren's lives, that's at work in the ordinary things that you do for them. Rooted early in such grace-filled devotion might one day be more readily inclined to bow to your compassionate conviction, knowing itself then as both a receptacle and reservoir of heavenly grace. So this little act of diapering, though in form sometimes felt as base drudgery, am I right? Whose turn is it to change the diaper, right? Might be better described as one of 10,000 acts by which I'm actively creating a culture of compassionate service and selfless love to shape the life of this family and this beloved child. Now, all this prayer is meant to just draw our attention to the mundane and how God can be present in the middle of it. That's how God's kingdom works. And it's beautiful. The story of the jailer is beautiful. The story of the slave girl is beautiful. And the story of Lydia is beautiful. History records whose name? Lydia. She's the only one that's named. She's the first convert in Europe. Imagine that. In the world of Martin Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, Lewis, Lydia began it all. And her story is everyday stuff. St. Peter's Basilica, Westminster's, Westminster Abbey, Lydia's house. The first church in the history of Europe. The one who made room, who compelled upon Paul to stay. Her story is the first. Her house, the first. What about your story? How is God at work in the mundane things of your life? Your routines, the non-spectacular. Some of us are like Stephen Curtis Chapman waiting for the 
thunder and the lightning, right? I don't know if you remember that song. It makes me really old. (laughs) But God shows up in the ordinary. Every moment of your life is filled with potential to be a spectacular moment because every moment of your life is pregnant with God's grace waiting to be birthed. And so now is the time, friends. Now is the time. Here, now. Whatever brought you here, now is the time to believe. To walk with God. You are being invited into a life with God. Last thing. Women always play a significant role in God's kingdom. They always have, and they always will. I think about my two grandmothers. One I called Mama, one I called Gami. Mama read to me and taught me about Jesus just through stories. And Gami took me everywhere she went. She ran the American Lung Association. She did all this fundraising all throughout New Mexico. And she would just take me along. And both women taught me about Jesus. The first commissioned and sent ones by the risen Jesus were women. The first church in Europe started by a woman. In the history of this church, there has been significant women Valerie Godwin, T. Downs, Julie Dockery, Vivian Turnow, Mary Sharp, Wendy Brown, Nancy Keshin, Susan and Ashley and Becky and Sherry and Shelby and Amy and Hella and Jen and Shannon and Caitlin and Christy and Robin and Lily and Lynn and Ellis, Mackenzie. There's Sarah Jane at RUF and Charlotte working for MNA. There's Amanda Hyatt and others. You all have been blessed by women and God working through them. And that is the beauty of the church. Lydia's faithfulness, her availability, come to my house. And there's one church that Paul will brag about over and over again. And before it was Philippians, it was the church that met at Lydia's house. Let's pray. God, you're so faithful. You're so kind. Each of us, each individual in this room has a story. A story at which you were at work in right now. And then there was a A hundred stories that made this particular story possible. Some of our stories are are dramatic and some of our stories are ordinary. But you are the beginning of all of them. And so I pray that knowing those beginnings, getting a taste of them, some of us know know that taste of it that we would trust that you're, you're still at work no matter where we might find ourselves this morning. And that others of us, as we're here, maybe thinking or examining, to know that the very seat that's being filled this morning is being filled because God has beckoned and called. It is no small thing that you are here this morning. 
Help us to sit into the bigness, the largesse of that, we pray, and meet us. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.